Welcome to the legacy teachings of Bill Anzavino, pastor of Christian Assembly Church since 1979. Though these teachings are decades old, we invite you to get out your Bible, take notes, and get ready to receive the uncompromised teaching of God's Word. For more information about Christian Assembly Church, please visit us online at cafamily.net. Matthew 23 and verse 23 says, Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! You pay tithe of mint and anise and cumin and have omitted the weightier matters of the law, judgment, mercy, and faith. These ought ye to have done and not to leave the other undone. Our Father, we give thanks to you for your holy written word, knowing that we can trust our lives to its provisions. Thank you also for the great teacher, the Holy Ghost, whom thou hast sent unto us, that we, dear Father, may know the truth that makes us free. We yield ourselves as an act of our will to the ministry of your Spirit, that we may hear accurately, that our minds may be open and hearts receptive. I thank you for utterance in the Holy Ghost to boldly proclaim the truth and demonstration of the Spirit and the power that our faith would stand not in the wisdom of men but in the power of God. In Jesus' name, amen. Notice that Jesus said, These things ought ye to have done and not to leave the other undone. We are talking about the hour of decision. And if I can have your attention just for a moment, what I'll do is just catch us up. And for those of you who may be here for the first time, maybe you've not been with us before, give you a little bit of help so that you can understand where we're coming from. But back on the 18th of July, the Lord spoke to my heart in that more authoritative voice of his spirit and said to my spirit the hour is at hand throughout all the land that a decision must be made proceeded to teach me share with me reveal to me some things he would have me share with the local body this body in particular and as I've shared with you in times past whenever he drops a hot potato in my hand I just pass it on to you Amen? See, that makes it a little bit easier for me. So I've been doing that. This is the ninth lesson. I've been doing that. And we talked about the fact that no one can escape physical death. Anybody here think you can escape it? Of course, except you'd be raptured. That'd be the only way. No one will escape physical death. That's a storm that's coming to us all. But, of course, we must make the decision to get ourselves right with God before that event occurs. And so we address first and foremost the non-believer, the unrighteous. And we told him that he must repent, come to God, be born again, washed in the blood of Jesus. Otherwise, the only thing that's in store for him is eternal destruction damnation then we addressed ourselves to the righteous the righteous and we classified the righteous in different categories 
we said that there is, first of all, the willful offender among the righteous. And we told that person that the righteous sin not. And that if you choose willfully to disobey God and to turn from the course of righteousness onto a path of unrighteousness, that is, to turn away from your righteousness and begin to live a life of self-gratification and sin, that your turning away will eventually lead you to a falling away. And before you fall away, you better turn back to God by repenting and get back on the right course, the course of righteousness. And then we said after that, there is the neglecter. So that's one class. The next class is the neglecter. And that's what we're talking about today, the neglecter. He may not be a willful offender out there, but I dare not say how many of us are neglectors. Because to neglect means to omit. Anybody here ever been guilty of the sin of omission? It means to leave something undone. How many of you left your bed unmade when you came this morning? You don't have to raise your hand. Huh? <laughs> Amen. That means you left it undone. It's, it's, not, it's not taken care of. You didn't give it attention. Well, you see, this is uh, something that we can do that's not going to send us to hell. And I think it's essential that we understand it. Believers can commit sins that are not unto death. In other words, you're not going to go to hell because you didn't do something that God wanted you to do. But it's certainly going to affect us, isn't it? In eternity. And so we want to be aware of these things. And let me once again reiterate the point that these messages are not intended to produce condemnation. What are they intended to produce? Godly fear. And there is a difference. Remember there where it talks about the Spirit of the Lord resting upon Jesus in Isaiah 11, verses 1, 2, 3, somewhere, where it talks about the Spirit of wisdom, revelation, counsel, understanding, knowledge, might, and the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord. Jesus walked in the fear, reverence for His Father. And I believe that much of this has been missing in the New Testament church of today. That many just go on with their lives and lose out when it comes to fearing God. They don't understand the fear of the Lord. They don't walk in the fear of the Lord. I worked in the Youngstown Sheet and Tube Company up in Youngstown, Ohio, and we made seamless tube, pipe. And I'm talking about, you know, big pipe. But it doesn't matter if it's big or if it's small. It's dangerous. And when you begin to work down there, you find out just how dangerous it is. I used to run a mill crane. Overhead traveling crane. I used to work, of course, where I had to pick up tons of equipment. And I would have to change the mill and be very close in working with people. I'm talking about if I make a slip, a wrong move, I can kill somebody. Just like that. Matter of fact, many have been killed that way. You're around hot pipe. Very hot. Burn you up. You're near a furnace. Same thing. But you know, after you've been there for a while, you kind of lose out. 
You're around it so much, you think, well, I, I work here all, I've been working here for 30 years. And you lose that fear. You understand that? You lose that fear. Well, I've been running this crane for four years and I just get up there and just start doing my thing, you know, just like it's every day. Until one day you almost kill somebody. And all of a sudden you realize, oh my goodness. I could have killed that person if I'd have pulled that thing up when, I, when he said down. See, it's dark sometimes down there. It's hard to see. If he goes like that, he wants it up. If he goes like that, he wants it down. Sometimes, you know, that maybe you don't get good signals, but it's hard to see because they're, you know, a ways down there. It might be dark. The lights are out. You make a wrong move, you can kill somebody. You could uh, remove uh, a hand, whatever. But what I'm saying is you could be around something for such a long time that you lose the fear, the reverence that you should have for them. And you see man doing things that, that he should not be doing carelessly. You see that? He doesn't have the fear that he once had. That's reverence. Well, you can serve God for such a long period of time that, you know, everything's okay, everything's buddy-buddy, and, and, you know, I've been Christian for all these years, that you just begin to lack reverence for, his fear, for the fear of God, for His holiness. And consequently, you just go on with life, Living each and every day out, thinking that everything is okay and everything is fine. And what I'm doing is perfect. I've got it all together now. I'm a Christian. Go to church once in a while and I do this and I do that. But you lose out, you see, when it comes to that initial fear, reverential fear. We're not talking about fear like you would fear an animal trying to take your life. We're talking about reverence, reverential fear, fear of displeasing a holy God, fear of not doing what God would have you to do with your life. Well, notice in verse 23 that Jesus got upset with these scribes and Pharisees who were well taught. And he told them that they emphasized one thing, but they left some other matters undone. And the things that they left undone were the weightier matters of the law. And he said, you should have given closer attention to this or to these things, and still not left the other undone. You neglected to do the primary thing, and you overemphasized the secondary thing. And as far as I'm concerned, because you did it willfully, or because you did it intentionally, you're a hypocrite. That's what Jesus told them. He said, scribes and Pharisees, you're hypocrites. Because you emphasize something that would help you and you fail to emphasize the thing that would help the people of God. Now notice how he says it. You've taught people to pay tithe of mint and anise and cumin, but you've omitted. Everyone say omit. The neglector is one, if you haven't taken down the definition, write it down, who omits the performance of certain duties or obligations, spiritual duties and obliga obligations, by failing to give them proper attention. The neglector is one who omits performance 
of certain spiritual duties or obligations by failing to give them proper attention. That's the neglector. And here we see that they neglected to teach that mercy, judgment, and faith were the weightier matters of the law. And Jesus said, you should have taught tithing. Yes, but you should not have left this other one forsaken. There's nothing wrong with teaching tithing, but you did not teach the weightier matters of the law. You're guilty of the sin of omission. Not that which you did do, but what you have not done. I venture to say that the average Christian does not give much thought to the things that they are not doing. Most Christians are caught up in being guilty and feeling guilty about the things that they've done wrong. I did this and I missed it. I got upset and I missed that and I got angry or whatever and I feel so bad about what I did. And you can get so caught up in feeling feeling bad about what you did that you give very little attention to the things that you've not done. And I have had a godly fear arise in my heart lately. And it has nothing to do with the things that I have done, even wrong. But it has a whole lot to do with the things that I can leave undone as being a pastor of a church. We have an internal purpose and an external purpose. And I want you to know that I fear God. I fear God. I have a reverential fear for the living God. I do not want things to be done in this place the way I want them done. And I also don't want to neglect to do the things that God would have me to do and leave those things undone. Why? Because by doing that, many, many can be hindered from coming to the Lord Jesus Christ and to a knowledge of His saving grace. And I venture to say that each and every one of us, if we gave it serious thought, every one of us, if we gave it serious thought and attention, could sit back and allow the Spirit of God to open up to our hearts the things that we have neglected to do for God. Like neglecting to pray, like neglecting the love walk, like neglecting the Holy Spirit, like neglecting to pay our tithes. And since we're talking about that, let me just show you that, that neglect can be intentional and unintentional. Turn to 1 John chapter 1 and verse 7. And let's just state this simple fact. Tithing is an eternal principle of God's Word. How many of you know that? It was not just part of the law, the Mosaic law. Tithing began way back before the law. We have record that Abraham paid tithes. We have record that... that, uh, Jacob paid tithes. We have record that others pay tithes. And to the Levites, we have the Israelites. We have record that Jesus here talks about tithing as something that should be taught. We have record that Jesus is worthy of receiving our tithes in the New Testament, meaning that tithing is an internal principle of God's Word. Make note of that. Tithing is an internal principle of God's Word. And kingdom. 
It's not just for a certain people at a certain time. It is an eternal principle of God's Word. Well, when I first got saved, I did not know anything about tithing. And 1 John 1, we'll look at 1 7. Look at 1 John 1 7. It says that if we walk in the light as He is in the light, then the blood of Jesus Christ cleanseth us from all sin. See, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ cleanseth us from all sin, if we walk in the light. But if you don't have the light of a certain subject in the Bible, then you can't walk in, the, in that light. You can't walk in something that you don't possess, or in the light of something that you don't possess. So I didn't have the light when it came to tithing. And so consequently, for my first few months as being a born-again Christian, I didn't pay tithes. I mean, I went to church and gave an offering... You know, but I never did pay tithes. Well, finally, somebody, my brother actually, showed me what the Scripture said in Malachi chapter 3 and verses 8 through 10. And I read those Scriptures, and when I saw those Scriptures, I said, well, I see that God said this. And, of course, it produced reverential fear inside me. I wasn't condemned about it because I can't walk in the light that I don't have. And so, although I wasn't paying my tithes, it wasn't something that was uh, being done intentional, was it? It was something that was being done unintentionally. I was not intending to do that. So we call that unintentional omission. I didn't intend to neglect to pay my tithes. I didn't have the light, so I couldn't walk in the light. If we walk in the light as He is in the light, that means if I walk in the light of what I possess, of what I have, then the blood of Jesus Christ will cleanse me from all sin, even sins of unintended omission in my life. Now, aren't you glad for that? In other words, the things that you don't have the light on, you can't do. And not doing it means you're guilty of a sin, which is omission. But because it was unintentional, because you didn't have the light then the blood of Jesus Christ will automatically cleanse you from that unintended sin. He'll cleanse you from that un unintended sin of omission. As you walk in the light of what you have. Now, it's so important we understand that. Because once you understand that, God's got you. He's got a hold of you. And you become responsible. Because what it's saying is this. If you don't walk in the light of what you have, then the blood of Jesus Christ is not being as efficacious in your life as it should and could be. And once light comes, we are responsible to walk in that light. Because if we omit to do so, then... After the light comes, we become guilty of the sin of intentional omission. Intentional omission. And please turn with me to Proverbs chapter 1, verse 24, because this is vitally important to all of us. Each and every one of us must understand what these scriptures are saying. In Proverbs chapter 1, verse 24...
To omit means neglect of duty. It means apathy toward. It means something left undone. Once you gain the light, which is the knowledge of your duties and responsibilities and obligations that God has set forth in His Word for each and every one of us, then you become responsible to walk in the light thereof or become guilty of the sin of omission by intention. And when that happens, Proverbs 1, verse 20, look at verse 20, let's start with verse 23. Turn you at my reproof. Behold, I will pour out my spirit unto you. I'll make known my words unto you. But I notice, because, and everywhere you find out a, find a because in the Bible, notice it's telling you a cause for something. A cause for something. Why did that happen? Because. Did God do that? No, that happened because. Well, because what? Well, it says because you refuse. He says, I poured out my words. I have called unto you, but you refused. You see that? Because I called and you refused. I've stretched out my hand and no man. Everybody say regarded. Say disregard. Well, if no man regarded, it meant they disregarded, right? Everyone say again, disregard. Now, you know what disregard means? To neglect intentionally. Everyone say neglect intentionally. Because you intentionally neglected my word or what I've said. Notice. But ye have said it not all my counsel and with none of my reproof. Verse 26. I also will laugh at your calamity. I will mock when your fear cometh. When your fear cometh as desolation, your destruction cometh as a whirlwind. When distress and anguish come upon you. Then you'll call upon me. I will not answer. You'll seek me early. You'll not find me. For they that hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord, they would... Now notice, none of my counsel, they despise my reproof, therefore shall they eat the fruit of their own way, be filled with their own devices... For the turning away of the simple shall slay them, and the prosperity of fools shall destroy them. But whoso hearkeneth unto me shall dwell safely, and shall be quiet from fear of evil. He's talking about two individuals. One who willfully neglects the reproof or the counsel of God, and one who hears and gives attention, who hearkens, who gives attention to the counsel of God. The one who disregards when his fear comes, when, when destruction comes, when calamity comes, what's he say? I'm not going to listen. Now, why, you say, why did God talk like that? Would you please listen just for a moment here? Why does God talk like that? It's very simple. There comes a point in a person's life when God says to that person, the hour of decision has come. You're either going to turn at my reproof and heed my counsel, or calamity and destruction and fear will come upon you. 
if you don't listen or hearken to what I'm saying and you turn at my reproof, if you don't adhere to or give attention to my counsel, if you disregard what I'm saying, my word, then when your fear comes, I can't help you. Then when destruction comes, I can't help you. Then when calamity comes, I can't help you. You say, why? This is a nugget. You make note of this, my brother and sister. Notice. God does not want us to seek Him being motivated by fear, destruction, or calamity. I, I know it's difficult with the children out there this morning, but my brothers and sisters, please heed. Because, see, I can't stop what, what God has started in my spirit. God does not want us to seek Him, His counsel, and His wisdom only when we are motivated by fear, destruction, and calamity. He'll put up with that for a certain length of time. Then the hour of decision comes that we must turn at His reproof. God's Word was given for reproof and correction and instruction of righteousness. The hour of decision comes to that person and that person must make a decision as to what he or she is going to do in his or her own life. And if they don't turn to God and if they don't give attention to what He has said, if they continue to neglect their duties and responsibilities toward the Word of God, toward the counsel of God, then God says, I can't help you. And when your fear cometh, there's not going to be any help for you. But in verse 34 or 33 it said, but if you'll give attention to me, in other words, if you won't neglect, if you'll give attention to my counsel, doesn't Proverbs 4.20 say, my son, attend to my words? Give attention to my words. To neglect means to omit to give attention. But to attend to my words means to be diligent in the pursuit of what God's counsel has said unto you or unto me. God's Word is His instructional book. He instructs and teaches us His ways. His counsel is before us. And He says, I have revealed to you my way and my thoughts. And if you'll turn to my way, if you'll pursue my counsel at my reproof, my thoughts, then you'll dwell safely and you'll be quiet from the fear of evil. But if you don't, if you neglect to attend, if you omit giving attention to my word, if you fail to perform your duties and responsibilities of these weightier matters, of your Christian experience. If you leave this undone in your life, then when your fear cometh, yeah, you'll be motivated to seek me then. But you won't be in a position to receive from me. Yeah, when your destruction comes, yeah, you'll be coming running to me, seeking my face. Why? Because destruction has come. When calamity comes, you'll seek to pursue Him. 
But he says, you won't find me. Why? Because, mark it, my brothers and sisters, our Father God wants us to pursue His counsel, His wisdom, His Word, to give attention to His ways, His plans, as being motivated by love for Him. Not because calamities come my way, but because I love you, Father. But because I care for you, Father. I desire you and long for you more than anything upon the earth. And I pursue understanding and wisdom and direction for my life because I want to please you, because I want to satisfy you, because I reverence you, because I have a longing desire to fulfill your plan for my life, Father. Not because there's a disease chasing my body, but, Father, because I love you. And that's what motivates me to serve you, to seek you. Oh, my brothers and sisters, Let's not leave these things undone. Because if we do, we'll find ourselves in a position or in a place that God is unable to help us, although He wants to. You say, I've never heard it preached that way before. It's the truth, my brothers and sisters. You know what the hour of decision means? It means that many are coming to that place in their life. In their lives today, as we speak, many are coming to that place that if they don't turn to seek and pursue the counsel of God, God's plan for their life will not be able to be fulfilled. God may want you to be His next prophet. God may want you to be the next pastor of a certain church. God may want you to be the one who's going to head up the music department in that church. God may want you to do this or do that or whatever it is, but you're getting older and 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 you've not pursued the counsel of God for your life. You've omitted that. You've left that undone. It reminds me of this one sister who was in a wheelchair who never received her healing and never went to the altar to pray for her healing. And, and one of the evangelists said, Sister, you always pray for a flu, a cold symptom, or an ache or a pain. We lay hands on you and you get healed. But sister, you're in that wheelchair and, and, and you've never asked God to touch your body and to heal you and make you whole. Why? You know what she said? She said, because I'm under judgment. Some won't understand this. You just have to believe God to, to, to enlarge your heart. She said, because when I was 13 years old, the call of God came upon my life. And He wanted me to be a missionary. Spoke to me by His Spirit and said, I want you to do this. This is what I want for your life. She says, I ignored it. She said, I neglected it. I omitted it. I refused to do it. Intentionally. Now, I'm sure that she, she lacked a lot of knowledge. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm sure she lacked a lot of knowledge when it came to healing and it came to forgiveness and, a lot of, and the mercy of God. But she said, I will never ask Him to heal my body. See, she was wrong in her thinking. She said, because I feel I'm under, the, I'm under the judgment of God because I failed to perform His duty and responsibility for my life. So I never asked Him to heal me. Now, she fell short when it came to understanding the mercy of God. And I believe she could have got herself right with God. But she was aware of the fact that she neglected or omitted certain things in her life. You say, how can God even judge somebody for that? And if He would judge like that, why would it be so harsh? If you're a thinking person out there, I want you to think this thought. Her disobedience meant she wasn't out on a missionary field. 
Her absence from a missionary field could very well mean that thousands upon thousands are not going into the kingdom of God because of her omission, her sin of intentional omission. Are you ready for this? Their blood will be upon her. I said their blood will be upon her. She was called of God to go warn the people, but she didn't go. Her blood, their blood could very well be upon her. Once again, this is not intended to condemn or to make guilty. It's intended to produce godly fear. I could preach up a storm right now and make you shout and dance and ow. But that's not the purpose of this meeting. It's not the purpose of this series that I'm teaching. I've been inspired by the Spirit of God to produce godly fear in the hearts of the children of God. And these things drive me to my knees. These very thoughts drive me to my knees. Sin of omission, me not doing what God wants me to do, could affect the lives of a multitude of people in an adverse way if I did not fulfill my call. Do you understand that? And it might take God another 20 years to raise up somebody else to take over that ministry that He was raising me up for or would have raised me up for. And all I want us to do is, is to stop thinking about the things we're doing wrong and let's give some attention to these areas of omission where we're not realizing that we are not committed to doing some things God wants us to do. Therefore, we are guilty of sins of omission, whether it's intentional or unintentional. And those are areas that God wants to clean up in our lives. It could very well be that people have kept you from doing certain things. You feel people have kept you from doing certain things that God would have you to do. My counsel or advice is to stay before God and find out whether or not the thing that you thought you were to do, God truly put in your heart. Because you see, my brother and sister, God's a master builder. And when He starts putting certain things together, He reveals His plan and purpose to His children so that they understand what He wants done. And He strategically puts certain individuals in certain ministries so that he can establish a work, whether it's in an assembly like this, whether it's in a missionary outreach, whether it's in a youth ministry, or whatever it is. He calls, he anoints, he appoints, he places people in certain offices to achieve his purposes. And if we would be sincere before God, I truly believe with all my heart that he would reveal to each in every person exactly where they belong. Now, I'm going to say something that's going to be very hard. But I believe that once again, it's going to open up certain eyes. It's going to cause people to, be, to have a change in focus. Many have been looking to others who they consider to be spiritual for direction for their lives. You're looking to somebody else to confirm something, to say something, to direct your life so that you can do or know to do what God would have you to do. My brother and sister, please listen. 
Don't look to me to reveal to you what God would have you to do. Look to God. Get your eyes off of man. Get your eyes focused on God and keep them on God. Let me tell you why. Because many have omitted to do so. They have neglected to get before God. They have neglected to make a sacrifice of their faculties and body members. They have neglected to seek His will for their lives. They have neglected to commit their way unto the Lord so He would cause their thoughts to become agreeable to His will that their plans may be established and succeed. They have neglected to do that particular act of duty in their lives that they come up short. And they don't know what God would have them to do, so they try to get it another way. They pursue that knowledge or that revelation by looking to see what somebody else has said. And if they go to a meeting here, somebody prophesies something, oh yeah, that must be me. Or if someone says, let's come to the altar, we'll pray over you and, and prophesy something over them, oh, that must be what God wants me to do. And they always fall short of what God wants for them in their lives or ministries, and they don't know what God wants them to do. And so they try that endeavor for a while, and they fall flat on their faces. And it brings spiritual destruction to their lives. My brothers and sisters, take heed. The hour of decision has come. Don't look unto men, but look unto God. Get before His presence and fulfill your first and foremost duty and obligation before God. What is that? Second Chronicles chapter 29 and verse 11. And I'm really glad that you asked the question. Second Chronicles chapter 29 and verse 11. Second Chronicles chapter 29 and verse 11. My sons, be not now. Everyone say negligent with me. Say it again, negligent. My son, be not now negligent. For the Lord hath chosen you to stand before Him, not men, to serve Him, that you should minister unto Him and burn incense. We know the Levites were the priests, but we also know that in the New Testament we have become kings and priests unto God. Amen? Well, as priests unto God, our first duty, our first obligation before God is to stand before Him, to minister to Him, and by definition, the Greek, or the Hebrew word that's used there for, for minister, if you want to take a note, write it down. It's sharath, S-H-A-R-A-T-H, and it means to attend as a menial or worshiper. To attend as a menial or as a worshiper. And as a Christian, the meaning is twofold. We attend to God both as a menial and as a worshiper. In the New Covenant, as a true worshiper. We attend to God. We give attention to God. We are not to omit or neglect, whether it be intentional or unintentional, our service unto God as, or giving attention unto God as, a menial or a worshiper. And of course, write it down, as a menial, you are to serve. It's like a household slave. You are to serve. We are to serve. And to serve means to comply with His commands or demands. To serve God means we are to comply with His commands or demands. And there's a twofold application to that. Make note of it. Number one, 
his commands or demands as written in the Holy Scriptures. Number two, his commands or demands as given by his Spirit to us as individuals. Number one, we are to comply with his commands or demands as they are written in Holy Scripture. Number two, we are to comply with his commands or demands as he reveals them to us by his Spirit. Mandates of the Spirit. In other words, what God told me to do by His Spirit, He doesn't necessarily tell you to do. He tells me to do that. Now, I can either do it or I can omit doing it. Isn't that true? I could omit intentionally or unintentionally. If it's unintentional, I need more light. If I get the light, I have a choice. If I choose not, it's intentional omission. And we don't want that. Secondly, as a worshiper, to worship, true worship means to offer sacrifice. Burn incense means to offer sacrifice. Okay? As a true worshiper, we are to offer sacrifice unto God. Now, sacrifice means, you have to make note of it, the destruction or the surrender of something for something else. The destruction or the surrender of something for something else. The destruction or the surrender of something for something else. When the high priest and the priest got together and they offered up a sacrificial lamb, they offered up the destruction or they surrendered up the life of that lamb for what in return? The atonement for sin. Without the sacrifice, was there any atonement? Without the blood sacrifice, was there any covering for sin? No. So you offered up one for the other. Did you get the atonement before the sacrifice? Or did you, did you get the atonement after the sacrifice? Now hold those thoughts in mind. Look at two scripture references with me. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 5. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 5, Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. As a menial, as a, as a slave, Paul called himself a love slave of Jesus Christ. As a true worshiper, as part of a holy priesthood, it is our duty and obligation... 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 5, as an assembly of God, ye also as lively stones are built up in spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer up what? What kind of sacrifices? Sir, unto who? Acceptable unto God. By who? Okay. As a spiritual house, as a spiritual people, Everyone say, it's my duty and obligation to offer up unto God by Jesus Christ acceptable spiritual sacrifices. Now quickly look at Romans chapter 12 and verses 1 and 2. Romans chapter 12. And verses 1 and 2, I'm reading from the Amplified Bible. 
I appeal to you, therefore, brethren, and beg of you in view of all the mercies of God to make a decisive dedication of your bodies, presenting all your members and faculties as a living sacrifice, holy, devoted, consecrated, and well-pleasing to God, which is your reasonable, rational, intelligent service and spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, this age, fashioned after and adapted to its external superficial customs, but be transformed and changed by the entire renewal of your mind, by its new ideals and new attitude, so that you may prove for yourselves what is the good, everyone say acceptable, and perfect will of God, even the thing which is good and acceptable and perfect in, in His sight for you. Now, you've got to get a hold of that because it's very important. He is saying this, we are to surrender our will and offer up the destruction of our emotional lusts, that's desires, attitudes of the heart, motives, unto God. We offer up by dedication as a living sacrifice, we surrender our will we destroy or offer the mortification or the destruction of our emotional desires, lusts, attitudes, motives, desires unto God as a living sacrifice unto God. Why? In exchange for what? That you may prove what is that good, acceptable, perfect will of God for your life. Please listen. Many do not understand the will of God for their lives. And the reason being, it's revealed right here, they don't offer up their will. Jesus said, not my will be done, Father, but thine be done. They don't commit and trust their very existence unto God. They don't turn or surrender their will over unto God. They don't mortify or offer up the destruction of their own emotional desires and attitudes and motives unto God as a living sacrifice and say, Father, not my will be done, but thine. Father, not my desires, but yours. Father, not my attitudes, but yours. Father, not my motives, but yours. Father, I give myself to you. I yield my will to you. I yield my desires unto you. In exchange for what? That you may prove and know what is the good, acceptable, and perfect will of God for who? For your life. For your life. You know, so many, and please make note of this, so many, I've said it before, I'm going to continue to say it, are so caught up in doing what they want to do for God that they end up not fulfilling or doing the thing that God wants them to do for Him. We get so caught up as Christians and belonging to this organization, that thing, this thing, this endeavor, that ministry, this min that we omit getting before God, staying in His presence, offering up our will, 
offering up our motives, offering up our desires, offering up what we want done in our lives unto Him and saying, Father God, not my will, but Thine will. Father God, not what I want, but what You want. Father God, I surrender myself to You. Father God, I give myself unto You. Father God, I turn myself over unto You. I yield all my body members. I yield all my emotional desires over unto You. I yield my emotional life unto You in exchange for Yours that I may know what is your will for my life. And I'll be honest with you, it's, it's, it is a frightening thing. And I'm talking about spiritual reverence, a frightening thing to think I can go through life, you can go through life doing all this, yet leaving the priority things undone. That's what Jesus told those Pharisees and scribes. He said, you emphasize this, but you left what I wanted you to do undone. You've omitted the weightier matters of the law. Listen, you've omitted the weightier matters of what I've established for your life. If I can, and we're going to have to, I don't know why, time just seems to fly when you're having fun. Because I need to get to these points. So just give me your attention, we'll have to pick it up next week. When my wife and I first came to the Lord Jesus Christ, we thought everybody was like us. We thought everybody did what we did. Because in a very short period of time, we absolutely had our lives revolutionized. I mean, within... A year period, one year we were saved. Second year, second year of being a born-again Christian, I got the call upon my life. Within three years of salvation, I found myself in Midland, Pennsylvania, standing behind a pulpit called, anointed, appointed of God to stand in the office of a pastor, having very rarely left the state of Ohio, traveled all the way to Tulsa, Oklahoma, giving up the house that we always wanted to live in on the street we always wanted to live on, and, and everything else leaving who knows for how long family, friends, and loved ones behind us, leaving a secure position that I had, leaving all the benefits that I have, all the securities of this life, all behind. Going to Tulsa, Oklahoma, a thousand miles away, not realizing what would be made of our lives. I mean, if God said go to Africa, we'd probably have been in Africa right now, but I, I'll be t- quite frank and totally honest with you, it didn't matter. We thought everybody who became born again, that was our understanding of being born again means a brand new life. The old man is gone. I don't exist anymore. And I did this without knowledge. I did this without scriptural teaching. I did it without people uh, telling me what to do. I got on my knees before God. And I said, Father, I give myself to you. Father, I lend my talents and abilities unto you. Father, I give my life over unto you. Whatever you want to do with my life, I give it to you. And I began to share some of these things. My wife, she got a hold of the vision. And God began to speak to her and to deal with her. And although we got to a place and a point in our life that we were where we were comfortable, where we wanted to live, where we wanted to be, where we wanted, we thought we could serve God right here and just everything would be okay. This is the house we want to live in. This is where we want to be. We're satisfied here. I've got a good job. We're putting a little bit of money away. We're getting equity in our home. I've got insurance. I've got hospitalization. We, our children, our, our one child's taken care of. We're thankful unto God. We're saved now. Things could not be better. In this new house, we put new carpet in. We begin to, you know, remodel, remodeling, just like that. Just takes two minutes. Just get in there. It's, she's got the whole vision. She's got all, you know, just, just already just taken care of. 
you know. And I'm sure that, she, you know, in, in her mind, it was the house was all done. But as far as, you know, in application, it wasn't done. But in her mind, it was all done. And things were being changed. Seven months we lived in that house. And before you know it, God said, now I want you to leave all that behind. I want you to go and get out and just do my will for your life. A sacrifice means you give up all. You turn yourself over unto God and say, I am for you, Father God. I am here to be that menial under you, to serve you, to comply with your commands, to comply with your demands, as you have revealed them to me in the Word. And we proved that to Him when we started paying our tithes immediately, going to church immediately, not neglecting the things of the Word of God, not filled with the Spirit immediately, not neglecting the things of the Spirit. And we began to step out according to what God spoke in His Word. And then, by the direction of your Spirit, Spirit, I'll comply with your commands and demands. When he said, go to Tulsa, Oklahoma, we put up everything, put everything up for sale, sold the house, sold the car, had to move an apartment, you know, left everything behind and took off and did exactly what he said to do. We give our lives over unto you to fulfill your plan and purpose as directed by the word, as directed by the spirit so that we can satisfy your desires and not ours. If we were doing our own thing and living our own lives, my brothers and sisters, you know, as far as we can see, we should be back in Euclid Boulevard in Youngstown, Ohio. Wouldn't know any of you people. But we didn't do that. So what are you saying? I'm saying, my brothers and sisters, that the hour has come that people must begin to respond. You can no longer omit seeking God's will for your life. Did you hear that? You can no longer neglect intentionally Pursuing the things of God for your life. Because you're going to be held accountable and responsible for neglecting the weightier matters of God's will for your life. He may say, get out of that particular thing, what you're doing over there, and get yourself planted right over here until I further instruct you as to what you should do. Did you hear that? He, he could be saying to you, you've got to get away from that work and get involved with this work over here. Because, you see, I'm training you up for that ministry and you're involved in this ministry over here. And, I, and I'm just not going to be able to better equip and qualify you for the thing I have you to do because you're so involved over here. It's like being the jack of all trades and the master of none. You're so caught up in this thing, I can't get a hold of your attention. I, I, I have to shake you sometime to get a hold of your attention to let you know, look, you're doing that, but I need you over here, and you're better qualified for that position. Yeah, but you know, brother, I've been going to all kinds of meetings asking God to show me. It's not going to all kinds of meetings and waiting for somebody to prophesy. It is going before the Father on your knees in the prayer closet in true heartfelt dedication and sacrifice and worship of your very being, of your very existence. And saying, Father God, here I am. What is it? What shall I do to please you? And don't come out from that closet until you have a thus saith the Lord. And then use everything you've got, my brother and sister, to pursue that will for your life. The hour of decision has truly come. Now, next week we'll start talking about certain things that we always neglect. So, let's wait upon the Lord. If I could have the praisers to come. Let me ask that question to you again while they're coming. Are you getting some godly fear? 
If you're getting some godly fear out of this series of lessons, would you raise your hand, please, if you've gotten some godly fear out of it? People want to see miracles. Well, you know what? It's a miracle for someone to get, to get godly fear in their heart. Because, you see, that's the power of God that's changing individuals' heart attitudes. Did you know that? And whenever you have God doing anything by intervention, that's a miracle. God intervening in people's lives. Answers to prayer. Those are miracles. We may not see all manifestations in, in a natural realm like we'd like to. But you see, I believe many times we overlook the supernatural manifestations of the Spirit of God, things in, that are taking place and works that are being worked out and wrought in the lives and the hearts of people by His Spirit. We fail to see those as miraculous events occurring. It's just today, if you have received, just from the message you heard today, more reverence and fear for the living God and His holiness, I want you to raise your hand. See, that's all miraculous. That's all miraculous. If you've been made more aware of the fact that you can omit things, and probably are omitting a lot of things, neglecting to perform certain things in your life, if you are aware of that right now, that, that has been drawn, you know, your attention has been drawn to that, that you, you can very well be omitting things as well as committing things, you know, when you commit a sin, Thank you for listening to our legacy teachings. We pray today's message has a profound impact upon your life and your ministry. I want you to know that God loves you, has a great plan for your life. But if you've never made Jesus Christ Lord and Savior of your life, I'd like to invite you to do that right now. Just pray this simple prayer right after me. Just say, Heavenly Father, I come to you just as I am. And I believe with all my heart that Jesus died for my sins and was raised from the dead for me. I open the door of my heart. I call upon the name of the Lord. Lord Jesus, come into my heart now. I receive you and accept you as my personal Savior and Lord. If you prayed that prayer with me, you're a child of God right now, and I encourage you to get into a good Bible-based church where you can learn to grow in your Christian faith and experience. God bless.